Hello, and welcome to the reading of The Courier for Tuesday, December 27th. And I am your reader, Peter Welch, and you are listening to IRIS, which is the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. See a fire chief still on leave email site investigation. In Cedar Falls, it's been two months since the city of Cedar Falls placed the two employees, including the fire chief, John Bostwick, on leave for what emails indicate is part of an internal investigation. The package of correspondence obtained for nearly $200 via a Freedom of Information Act. Request notes the other employees is from a different department. Mike Nyman, the city's water reclamation manager and a paid-on-call firefighter, confirmed Saturday when reached by telephone that he was the other person. The matter had to do with the work hours completed. Nyman has since retired. Balswick declined to comment on whether he plans to do the same. Together, the two have decades of service to the city. The email state Captain John Zollendeck has been fulfilling the fire chief's responsibilities during Boswick's absence. Boswick continues to be paid according to the emails. City Attorney Kevin Rogers and City Administrator Ron Gaines confirmed December 19th that Boswick is still on leave marking two months since his employee status changed. They were unsure when he might return. He's been a member of the fire department since 1980 and has been chief since 2016. There's no vacancy, so no interim fire chief has been appointed, according to Rogers. City code outlines what's done in the case of a vacancy, but a separate clause outlined what's supposed to be done in the case of a temporarily abs- of a temporary, I should say, absence of fire chief. Whenever the chief shall be out of the city or otherwise temporarily unable to act for any reason, the chief shall designate an acting chief. The code, the code states, in the event of the death or incapacity of the chief, the director of the public safety services, or if said director is also the fire chief, then the city administrator shall designate an acting chief. And also in Cedar Falls, this is called the New Humanists. Traveling exhibition on display at Hearst Center in Cedar Falls through January 8th. Humanist art is now on display at the Hearst Center for the Arts, but there are a a limited number of days to view it. The new Humanist Introspective Impressions, a traveling exhibition from the Syracuse University Art Museum in New York, is featured through January 8th. As the world began to recover from the horrors of World War II, artists became more interested in social engagement and the psychological state of emotions and humanity said Corey Hurls, the the center's executive director. In post-World War II, some artists want to explore human emotions, and it took some of them them, uh, to darker places. Humanists were obsessed with the human condition. These artists used introspection, observation, and reflection as tools for exploration. They wanted to expose people to a range of emotions, and the works represented here are great examples of the print-making medium, Hurls says. 
influenced by German expressionism, surrealism, and social realism of the 1930s, contemporary humanist artists also employed a sense of freedom and heightened realism to depict the human body. These visual artists were not bound by traditional, classical, or abstract artists' styles. Their visions of humans and human fallibility include the grotesque, the edgy, or outright shocking, as well as poignant and despairing. This exhibition features etchings, lithographs, wood cutouts, and wood cut engravings by such artists as Leonard Baskin, the award-winning figure, figurative artist known for his exploration of mortality, Marikio Lazansky, who taught at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, and recognized as one of the most influential printmakers of the 20th century. And Jose Luis Curves, a Mexican artist well-known for his sometimes shocking dark images focused on the debasement of humanity. All right, let's take a look now at the Northeast Iowa area escapades. Here are just a few of the events and goings-on worth checking out in Northeast Iowa. Saturday, the 31st of December, have yourself a happy blue year. Bob Doerr's annual blue, I should say happy blue year, celebration will ring in the new year, beginning at 7 p.m. Saturday at Brian's Blue Plate at 205 West 4th Street, and the music will feature DJ Blue, The Blue Two, Sleepy Bones, Allison, Uncle Chuck and Perry Miller, multi-instrumentalist Nolan Schroeder, and more. There'll be a blues buffet and a midnight champagne toast. Dorr also will toast his wife, Carolyn, on their 13th anniversary. Proceeds benefits the Waterloo Center for the Arts. Tickets are limited and available for a first-come, first-served basis from the Waterloo Center for the Arts, Brian's, the hotel, or at the jam sessions. The cost is $35 in advance, $45 at the door, subject to availability. Brian's Blue Plate is located in downtown Waterloo in the Best Western Plus Executive Residency. What else is going on here? On the 31st of December on Saturday, Chef offers four-course tasting menu. Tickets are available for Chef Clint's New Year's Eve four-course tasting menu on Saturday at Second State Brewing at 203 State Street in downtown Cedar Falls. Two seatings are available. The first will be from 6 to 8 p.m. The second will be from 8 to 10. Tickets are $65 each. This will be Goodman Hospitality's first event at Second State, uh, Second State Brewing. Tickets are available through evenbright.com. Or I should say, excuse me, I should say Eventbrite. That's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. Please provide any dietary needs or restrictions when ordering the tickets. And also ring in 2023 with music and dancing. Throwback Jack will play at the NYE Boot Scootin' Bash at Beyond Venue at 7400 Hudson Road in Cedar Falls. And the music and dancing starts at 8 p.m. and will end at 1230 a.m. Furious George will rock New Year's Eve at Screaming Eagle American Bar and Grill at 228 East 4th Street in downtown Waterloo, and the show will begin at 9 p.m. Octopus, 2205 College Street 
in Cedar Falls. We'll host New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve performances by Mr. Softheart, Anthony Worden, and the illiterier Joel Sires. Cost $15 at the door, and the music will begin at 9 p.m. Okay, let's see what else is going on. Here in Waterloo, man accidentally shoots himself. A man was taken to the hospital for accidentally shooting himself on Christmas Eve at a mobile park. Waterloo police were dispatched around 2 p.m. Saturday to 214 Tuland Avenue, which is in a mobile home park off Independence Avenue on reports of shots being fired. An ambulance also was dispatched to the scene. Upon arriving, officers found an 18-year-old male with a gunshot wound to his lower back. According to Waterloo Police to Melissa Ludwig, the wound was self-inflicted. His injuries are not considered life-threatening. In Des Moines, Fund for Low-Income Vets runs dry. Veterans Trust Fund depleted for the first time in at least a decade. Low-income Iowa veterans lost an option for helping to pay for expenses like health care, housing, and transportation after a state trust fund to aid them was exhausted. It is the first time in at least a decade that money available from the Iowa Veterans Trust Fund has been depleted, and it likely will remain so until this summer. State officials said that recently expanded eligibility and inflation-induced cost increases led to the depletion. Established nearly 20 years ago and operated by the Iowa Department of Veterans Affairs, the Iowa Veterans Trust Fund is available to Iowa veterans and families who are at 300% of the federal poverty line or lower, roughly $41,000 for an individual or $69,000 for a family of three. The fund can be used to cover myriad expenses, including medical equipment, emergency room care, dental, hearing care, emergency housing, vehicle repairs, counseling, unemployment, assistance, and job training. The Iowa Veterans Trust Fund is funded by an annual $500,000 state appropriation and an annual $2.5 million deposit from the Iowa Lottery. The program pays for services for eligible veterans out of interest earned on the trust fund. After expending roughly $496,000 in 2018, $632,000 in 2019, $573,000 in 2020, more than $1.7 was spent from the trust fund in 2021, according to the latest annual report. Expenditures for 20, uh, 2022 uh, are not yet available. Eligibility for the trust fund was expanded in 2021 to accommodate greater needs for Iowa veterans in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and the 2020 Dorico. And inflation-induced cost increases for services drove up expenditures from the trust fund, said Veteran Affairs spokesman Carl Litau. The increased needs and eligibility created an unprecedented influx of application requests for assistance, Litau says. The fund's depletion means low-income Iowa veterans cannot apply for assistance through the fund until the new state's budget year starts on the 1st of July, when it will be replenished by an annual state appropriation. Retail says that Iowa veterans should talk to their local veterans services officials about other options and programs. 
Also in Des Moines, Des Moines police shoot boy in domestic confrontation. Police officers in Des Moines shot and killed a 16-year-old boy they encountered during a domestic disturbance early on Monday morning. The Des Moines Register reported that a relative of the boy called police about 12.30 a.m. to report the dispute at an apartment complex near Blank Park Zoo. The caller said that the disturbance involved the boy and he was armed with a handgun. Police said in a statement that the officers found the boy in an apartment with other family members. Officers tried to talk the boy to de-escalate the situation, but the boy raised the gun towards the officers, prompting more than one officer to open fire. The boy later died in the hospital. State agents are investigating the shooting. Well, what's going on with the federal spending bill? Well, this article is called The Federal Spending Bill is Including $28 Million for Eastern Iowa. Iowa Republican, U.S. Republican Ashley Hinson voted against a $1.7 trillion spending package. That includes nearly $28 million in earmarked funding Hinson requested for projects in her district. Hinson, in a statement, said that House Republicans were shut out of the last-minute negotiations and the end product did not respect taxpayers or or address the dire border crises. The bill, which also includes emergency assistance to Ukraine, a 4.6% pay raise for the military and funding to expand eligibility for health care services and benefits to veterans exposed to toxins during their service, passed mostly along party lines in the democratically controlled Congress and is headed to President Joe Biden for his, uh, his expected signature. Iowa's other Republican U.S. House members, Representatives Randy Fenistra and Marionette Miller Meeks, also voted against the spending package. U.S. Representative Cindy Axney, the lone Democrat in Iowa's congressional delegation, voted in favor. Hinson, who serves on the House Appropriations Committee, said she opposed the bill because it included wasteful spending and failed to secure the border. The bill transfers $800 million from U.S. Customs and Border Protection to the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency's Emergency Food and Shelter Humanitarian Food Shelters Program to help cities and organizations struggle to provide for thousands of migrants uh, who are arriving from the southern border seeking asylum. And it also provides less funding for Border Patrol agents. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Border Technology Hinson told reporters during a conference call Thursday ahead of her vote. Rather than funding immigration enforcement or providing more resources to Customs and Border Patrol, the Biden administration is funding initiatives that further incentivizes and rewards illegal immigration, Hinson says. Hinson also pointed to funding for gender equity programs, as well as the $2.3 million for the U.S. Department of Education to, con- to contact student loans that may qualify for cancellation uh, of student loan debt and to encourage borrowers to enroll in a qualifying repayment plan. These are not appropriate or acceptable uses of taxpayer dollars, Hinson writes. But 13 of the 15 community project funding requests Hinson put forward were included in the omnibus spending bill. 
The process, commonly known as earmarks, allows members of, of Congress to direct federal funds for specific projects to their home states and districts. Each member could submit 15 eligible projects to receive federal funding for the 2023 fiscal year. The 13 Eastern Loan, I should say, the uh, Eastern Iowa, rather, I should say, earmarks included in the final federal spending package are as follows. $1 million for Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanities Targeted Neighborhood Revitalization in Waterloo. $500,000 for Gilbertville Emergency Services. $208,000 for the Buchanan Emergency Operations Center. $375,000 for Northeast Iowa Community College's National Education Center for Agricultural Safety Equipment Upgrades. $1 million for Granger uh, Creek Lift Station Improvements in Dubuque. $4 million for rural road constructions in West Union. $1.7 million for the Fifth Avenue Gatewell and flood pumps in Cedar Rapids. $360,000 for the Kirkwood Community College Aviation Maintenance Technician Program. $7 million for the Eastern Iowa Airport Taxiway Expansion Project. $7 million for the Albert Road Extension. $3.5 million to, to the Maquoquita Waste Water Plant. $230,000 for the Osage Municipal Utilities Orchard Fiber Project. Finally, $1 million for the Iowa Flood Center for Advanced Hydraulic Monitoring, Assessment, and Flood Forecasting along the Lower Cedar River and Maquoquita River watersheds. Cat rescued from Cedar Falls fire. In Cedar Falls, Cedar Falls Public Safety Officers saved a cat from a late-night Christmas fire. Cedar Falls Fire Rescue arrived on the scene at 2204 Victory Drive just after midnight on Monday. Cedar Falls Fire Rescue Captain Kelly Yates said that a neighbor reported there were large flames in the kitchen area of the house. Firefighters found fire in the east side of the home with heavy black smoke coming from the front door and roof. The fire was extinguished, and firefighters, firefighters found an unresponsive cat during a, a search for the home. The cat was resuscitated by paramedics and firefighters and turned it over to the animal control for, uh, for treatment. No one was at the home during the fire. Officials said that there's a significant fire damage to the first floor and heavy smoke damage throughout the entire house. The cause of the fire is unknown at this time and currently under investigation. Mercy One pa uh, Paramedics, Cedar Falls Utilities, and Animal Control assisted at the scene. Okay, let's go to uh, the nation and the world. Um, there is a picture and underneath it, it says Ukrainian drone shot down inside Russia, military says. The Russia military reported Monday that it had shot down a Ukrainian drone approaching an airbase deep inside Russia, the second time that the facility has been targeted this month. Russia's defense minister also said that debris killed three servicemen at the Engels Air Base which houses TU-95 and TU-160 nuclear-capable strategic bombers that have launched strikes on Ukraine in the 10-month-old war. 
Above, you see in this picture, Ukrainian soldiers firing a French-made Caesar self-propelled howitzer toward Russian positions Monday near the Dunsk region in Ukraine. Well, of course, I'm sure you're aware we've had some um, absolutely unbelievable weather across our country over the past seven plus days. This article is about major storm kills at least 50 people. Official calls deadly blizzard likely worst storm in our lifetime. This is Buffalo, New York. The death toll from a Buffalo area blizzard rose to 27 in western New York, authorities said on Monday, as the region reeled from one of the worst weather-related disasters in its history. Much of the rest of the United States was hit by ferocious winter conditions. Those who died around Buffalo were found in cars, homes, snowbanks. Some died while shoveling snow. Others, when emergency crews could not respond in time to medical crises. The storm is blamed for at least 50 deaths uh, in the nation itself, with rescue and recovery efforts ongoing Monday. Erie County Executive Mark Poloncars described the blizzard as the worst storm probably in our lifetime and warned there may be more dead. Some people, he noted, were stranded in their cars for more than two days. It's just a horrible situation that we can see sort of the light at the end of the tunnel, but this is not the end yet, he said on Monday. The National Weather Service said Monday that up to nine more inches of snow could fall in some areas through Tuesday. Scientists say that the climate change crises may have contributed to the intensity of the storm. That's because the atmosphere can carry more water vapor, which acts as fuel, says Mark Serenz, director of the National Snow and Ice Data Center at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Victor Gensini, a meteorology professor at Northern Illinois University, likened a single weather event to an at-bat and the climate as your batting average. The blizzard roared across western New York in Friday and Saturday, stranding motorists, knocking out power, preventing emergency crews from reaching the residents. With many grocery stores at the Buffalo area closed and driving bans in place, some people pleaded on social media for donations of food and diapers. The ferocity of uh, the whiteout conditions tested an area accustomed to punishing snow. It doesn't matter if you had a thousand more pieces of equipment and 10,000 personnel. There's still nothing you could have done in that period. It was that bad said Pollencars, the county official. Okay, it's time to look at News Digest here in the paper. Conflict flares in Korea, Pensin, uh, Peninsula, in Seoul, South Korea. South Korea's military fired warning shots, scrambled fighter jets, and flew surveillance assets across the heavily fortified bo uh, border with North Korea on Monday after North Korean drones violated its airspace airspace for the first time in five years in a fresh escalation of tensions. South Korea's military detected five drones from North Korea crossing the border, and one traveled as far as the northern part of the South Korean capital region, which is about an hour's drive away, South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said. Attack helicopters fired a combined 100 rounds, 
but it wasn't immediately known if any of the North Korean drones were shot down. The defense ministry reported that there were also no reports of civilian damage on the ground in South Korea. Southern freeze creates water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi, Days of freezing temperatures in deep south areas that usually freeze for only hours are threatening dozens of water systems as burst pipes leak millions of gallons of water. The problems were happening Monday in large, troubled water systems like Jackson, Mississippi, where residents were required over Christmas to boil water months after most lost service because of a cascade of problems from years of poor maintenance. Dozens of water systems either had boil advisories in place because of the low pressure or warned of bigger catastrophes if leaks from broken pipes weren't found and the water shut off. The culprit was temperatures that dropped below freezing Thursday or early Friday and have spent only a few hours, if any, above 32 degrees since then. In news briefs, also COVID. China will drop a COVID-19 quarantine requirement for passengers arriving from abroad starting the 8th of January, the National Health Commission announced on Monday. Currently arriving passengers must quarantine for five days at a hotel, followed by three days at home. Mall shooting. The Hindpin County Medical Examiner's Office said Sunday that John Tay Hudson, age 19 of St. Paul, died of gunshot wounds just before 8 p.m. on Friday at the Mall of America. On Friday in Bloomington, Minnesota, police arrested five teenagers in connection with the shooting. Police say that the shooting occurred after two groups of young men got into a fight. Shopping. Holiday sales rose this year as American spending remained resilient during the critical shopping season, despite surging prices on everything from food to rent, according to MasterCard Spending Pulse data released on Monday. Afghanistan. The top UN official in Kabul met with a Taliban government minister in Afghan's capital on Monday following a decision by the country's new rulers to bar women from working. From non-governmental organizations, the UN mission went on to say, Japan, heavy snow in large swaths of Japan, has killed 17 and injured more than 90 people and left hundreds of homes without power, disaster management officials said on Monday. Many parts of northern Japan reported three times their average snowfall for the season. And in France, members of France's Kurdish community and others held a silent march on Monday, to honor three people killed in a shooting at a Kurdish cultural center in Paris that prosecutors say was motivated by racism. Well, with all of the weather that we've been having, um, generally speaking, um, I, I don't read weather forecasts, but because of the way things have been, I thought it might be a good idea to just mention that, that today it will be getting a little bit warmer. It'll be breezy and not as cold. Um, and wind will be out of the south at 10 to 20 miles per hour, and it'll hit 29 degrees. Tonight, it will be cool at 26 degrees. Tomorrow on Wednesday, it's going to start to warm up, sun through high clouds, and the temperature will reach 38 degrees, and the low will be 32. On Thursday, warmer yet, it'll be cloudy with fog, high around 49, a low of 30 degrees. 
And then on Friday, it'll be a little colder with low clouds. It'll reach 37 degrees down to 28. And on Saturday, it'll be mostly cloudy with a shower, a high of 37 and a low of 28. So certainly, definitely much, much better than uh, the way things have been as we rapidly approach the end of 2022. Okay, let's take a look at uh, guest column. Iowa's electric rate structure ensures reliability. Iowa's electricity rate structure ensures continued low cost, reliable energy for consumers. Weather often makes us focus on things we take for granted, such as keeping our lights on, heating our homes, or having the ability to travel whenever and however we want to uh, without delays. It also reminds us of the role our utilities play to provide us with safe and reliable electricity. Our utility partners are working around the clock each day to provide energy to your home and businesses and reliably, affordably, and sustainably. While there's a lot of changes occurring in the energy landscape and a heightened awareness of how it impacts our lives, the one thing that does not change is how important it is to ensure energy is affordable, reliable for all customers. Extreme weather and changes in policy have led our national regulators to raise reliability concerns that have never been an issue before in Iowa. Your utilities take their roles very seriously to ensure that they have all the tools and resources in place to keep a very complex system running smoothly 24-7 on your behalf. In Iowa, we're fortunate to have a system that works and one that gives us rates that are among the lowest in the nation with grid reliability and energy produced by renewable generation that is among the highest. However, it seems that it's not good enough for a few. There's a new group that wants to change the rules to benefit their own interests. Their scheme would allow only a few of Iowa's largest energy users to exit the market the rest of us would rely on and, and supported by. Their plan comes at the cost of every other customer's bottom line. Iowa's low energy rates and growing percentages of renewables has attracted a lot of big tech customers, as well as helped out existing businesses grow and be successful. These groups who claim to represent the best interest of all Iowans have proposed a system where less sophisticated customers would pay more. What this means is that a shift in the balance and equity that Iowa's regulated system has provided to all customers. Disrupting the balance approach, which is guaranteed by the regulated energy environment to not pick winners and losers, would destroy the very construct that works best for Iowans. It's simple supply and demand economics. If the largest buyers of energy get to leave the system whenever it benefits them. That creates a cost of shift that all other electric consumers bear, not to mention the reliability risk it creates. That might be how they do things in California, but it's not the way it's done here in Iowa. Just like you don't have to touch a hot stove to know you will get burned. Iowans don't have to go down the risky road of deregulation masked as competitive choice to learn what others have. States like California, Texas, and Illinois, to name just a few, have energy rates much higher than Iowa's prices that are more volatile and energy supplies that are less reliably. Let's not break a system that is working and has been proven to support all of Iowa. Just not just so select a few who have decided that they need to change the rules on the backs of everyday Iowans on only 
something that benefits themselves and not everyone else. This was written again by Chaz Allen, who is an executive director of the Iowa Utility Association. And I'd like to remind you that you are listening to the reading of The Courier for Tuesday, December 27th. And I am your host, Peter Welch. I am narrating the paper. And you're listening to Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Uh, I have just two obituary uh, pieces of news here this uh, today. Let's take a look at those two right now. First one is Dan J. Peters, uh, who passed on Saturday, the 17th of December, in his home in Waterloo. Celebration of life will be in the spring of 2023 at Lock at Tower Park. Memorials may be directed to the family. Condolences may be sent to HTTPS semicolon forward slash forward slash www.lockfuneralsservices.com. And Lock at Towers Park is in charge of all of the arrangements. Also, then Melissa Stansbury has passed at the age of 43 of Evansdale, and she passed on the 20th of December. A public visitation will be from 9 to 11 a.m. on Wednesday, the 28th of December, followed by a funeral service starting at 11 a.m. at St. Mark's United Methodist Church in Evansdale. Burial will follow the funeral service at Fairview Cemetery in Waterloo. Please join the family for reception at St. Mark's United Methodist Church immediately following the burial. Well, Tuesday, what to watch? Plenty of goodies here. Let's take a look. Jose Andres and Family in Spain. This is a new series. This is on the Discovery Channel. This six-part docuseries follows larger-than-life chef and celebrated humanitarian Jose Andres on a gastronomic adventure across his ho- uh, homeland of Spain with his three American-raised generation and two daughters. Their journey is a celebration of Spanish food and culture. Guided by Jose's passion for food and his personal history in the country. At each stop, they will meet local experts, celebrated chefs, and old friends who reveal insider secrets and traditions and cook exquisite dishes. Chelsea Handler on Netflix. Uh, this is called Revolution. In her new stand up special, comedian Chelsea Handler lets loose on her life, including her choice to remain childless, alone, with the exception of her dogs, dating during the pandemic while her family invaded her home and her vision for a future where men don't wear flip-flops. Ocean Emergency, Currents of Hope, on the CW at 7 p.m., hosted by Dean Kane, Elizabeth Stanton, Montel Williams, and Laura McKenzie. This all-new two-hour documentary takes viewers around the world to share a first-hand look at the state of emergency our oceans are facing, while providing tips on how to mitigate this global issue. The Wheel on NBC at 7 p.m. in Sky Hooks and the Almighty Book. Celebrity experts Tay Diggs, Esther Dean, Josh Flagg, Lyric Lewis, Jelaine Rose, and Christine Chu advise contestants on questions about the Bible, real estate, plastic surgery, and more. On PBS at 7 p.m., American Masters, Groucho and Cavett discover the enduring 
friendship. Between television personality Dick Cavett and his mentor, iconic comedian Groucho Marx, their relationship is chronicled through new interviews with Cavett, archived footage from Marx's visits to the Dick Cavett Show, and other rare recordings. 9 p.m. on NBC, The Wall. Check out Deck the Wall, a holiday spectacular, a special holiday-themed episode of this game show from executive producer and NBA superstar LeBron James and hosted by fellow executive producer Chris Hardwick. The Bermuda Triangles into Cursed Waters on the History Channel. And that's on at 9 p.m. In the episode, Death from Below, the team enlists an advanced submarine to probe one of the deepest and darkest parts of the Bermuda Triangle in search of a legendary ship that vanished in 1921. Are massive bubbles opening up in the floor of the triangle, causing the ships and planes to plummet to the ocean floor? At the bottom of the ocean, the mysterious area gives up one of its secrets. And don't forget to catch a classic. And this will be an evening of 2022 National Film Registry inductees. And what we're going to have here, uh, and this is going to start at 7 p.m. There'll be Charade, 1963, Titcut Follies, Superfly, Word is Out, Stories in Some of Our Lives, and finally, Serrano de Bergerac. So those will be the Catch a Classic movies, and all of that starts at 7 p.m. on TCM. Okay, what else is going on? Okay, let's take a look at Today in History. Today's highlight, on December 27, 1979, Soviet forces seized control of Afghanistan. On this date, in 1822, scientist Louis Pasteur was born in Dole, France. 1831, naturalist Charles Darwin set out in a round-the-world voyage aboard the HMS Beagle. 1904, James Barry's play, Peter Pan, The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up, opened at the Duke of York's Theater in London. In 1932, New York City's Radio Music Hall first opened. In 1945, 28 nations signed an agreement creating the World Bank. In 1958, American Physicist James Van Allen reported the discovery of a second radiation belt around the Earth, in addition to one found earlier in the year. In 1985, Palestinian gunmen opened fire inside the Rome and Vienna airports in terrorist attacks that killed 19 people. Four attackers were slain by police and security personnel. American naturalist Dion Fossey, age 53, who had studied gorillas in the wild in Rwanda, was found hacked to death. In 1999, Space Shuttle Discovery and its seven-member crew returned to Earth after fixing the Hubble Space Telescope. In 2001, the Defense Secretary Donald H. Rumsfeld announced that the Taliban and Al-Qaeda prisoners would be held at the U.S. Naval Base at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. 2002, a defiant North Korea ordered U.N. nuclear inspectors to leave the country and said it would restart a laboratory capable of producing plutonium for nuclear weapons. The U.N. nuclear watchdog said that its inspectors were staying put for the time being. In 2016, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, accompanied by President Barack Obama, visited Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, where he offered his sincere 
and everlasting condolences to the souls of those who lost their lives in Japan's 1941 attack. Abe did not apologize, but conceded his countries must never repeat the horror of war again. Actor Carrie Fisher died in a hospital four days after suffering a medical emergency aboard a flight to L.A. She was 60. And 10 years ago, an Indian-born man, Sawando Sen, was shoved to his death from a New York City subway platform. Suspect Erica Merendez, later pleaded guilty to manslaughter, was sentenced to 24 years in prison. Authorities say that Mendez pushed Sen because she thought he was Muslim. Sen was Hindu. Retired Army General Norman Schwarzkopf, age 78, died in Tampa, Florida. Okay, let's look at some other uh, na- nation and news. Uh, in the digest section of the paper, authorities ID mall shooting victim. Authorities identified the 19-year-old man who was fatally shot during an altercation at the Mall of America on Friday evening. We mentioned this story a little bit earlier in the program, but this is just adding more information about it. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office said Sunday that Jante Hudson of St. Paul died of gunshot wounds just before 8 p.m. on Friday at the mall in Bloomington, Minnesota. The police arrested five teenagers in connection with the shooting at a home at St. Louis Park, a Minneapolis suburb, on Saturday. Police Chief Booker Hodges said that the two of the teenagers are 18 and three are 17. Hodges said that one of the older teens was the shooter, but another also may have opened fire. The chief told the Star Tribune on Sunday that all five will be charged in suspicion of second-degree murder Tuesday. Police say that the shooting occurred after two groups of young men got in a fight in Nordstrom, a mall anchor. And holiday sales are up despite inflation. And again, this is a, a just a, a continuation of a story that we read a little bit earlier. This, this is in more detail. In New York, holiday sales rose this year as American spending remained resilient during the critical shopping season, despite surging prices on everything from food to rent. According to one measure released on Monday, holiday, holiday sales rose 7.6%, a slower pace than the 8.5% increase from a year earlier. When shoppers began spending the money they saved during the early part of the pandemic, according to MasterCard Spending Pulse, which tracks all kinds of payments, including cash and debit cards. MasterCard Spending Pulse expected a 7.1% increase. The data excludes the automotive industry and is not adjusted for inflation, which has eased somewhat but remains painfully high. By category, clothing rose 4.4%, while jewelry and electronics dipped roughly 5%. Online sales jumped 10.6% from a year ago, and in-person spending rose 6.8%. Department stores registered a modest 1% increase over 2021. In France, members of France's Kurdish community and others held a silent march on Monday to honor uh, people who were killed in a shooting at a Kurdish cultural center in Paris that prosecutors say was motivated by racism 
In Taiwan, China's military sent 71 planes and seven ships toward Taiwan in a 24-hour display of force directed at the self-ruled island, Taiwan's defense ministry said on Monday, after China expressed anger at Taiwan's related provisions in the U.S. annual defense spending bill. And in Israel, more than 1,000 senior Israeli Air Force veterans, including a former Israeli chief of staff, urged the country's top legal officials Monday to stand tough against the incoming government. They said in a letter that the Alliance of Religious and Ultranationalist Parties threatens Israel's future. The letter was delivered days before the new government is to take office. Okay, here's a section that I love to talk about. Uh, maybe a, a lot of you enjoy movies. Um, this particular uh, article is about film registry newcomers. When Harry Met Sally and more to be, be preserved at the Library of Congress. They'll have what she's having. The 1989 rom-com When Harry Met Sally is one of 25 films chosen this year to enter the National Film Registry, a list that ranges from Disney's The Little Mermaid to an 1898 silent documentary, Long Thought Lost, about the Mardi Gras parade in New Orleans. Also chosen this year for preservation are Marvel's Iron Man, John Waters' Hairspray, Brian De Palma's Carrie, and the 1950 Sereno de Bergeriac, starring Jose Ferrer whose performance made him the first Hispanic actor to win a Best Actor Oscar. The registry is housed at the Library of Congress, which since 1988 has selected movies for preservation based on their cultural and historic importance. This year's pick brings the total number of films in the registry to 850, many of which are among the 1.7 million films in the library's collections. The oldest film selected this year is the 1898 Mardi Gras Carnival, a silent era documentary with the earliest known footage of the carnival in New Orleans. A copy was recently found at the iFilm Museum in the Netherlands, showing uh, floats and spectators and marchers at a parade. The film is one of nine documentaries chosen covering topics like the Attica Prison Rebellion, Female Union Workers, Mental Health Treatment, LGBTQ History, and others. And the most recent film on this year's list is the 2011 Pariah by D. Rees, a coming-out story about a lesbian teenager in New York that's considered a prominent film in modern queer cinema. Among a number of other LGBTQ-themed films chosen this year, is the 1967 short film titled Behind Every Good Man by Nikolai Erzine, a look at black gender fluidity in L.A. Another is the 1977 Word is Out, stories stories like Some of Our Lives, which includes interviews with more than two dozen gay people about their lives, including a landmark of the early gay rights movement. We are proud to add 25 more films by a group of vibrant and diverse filmmakers to the National Film Registry as we preserve our cinematic heritage, says Librarian of Congress Carla Hayden. Now, if you'd like to get more information, uh, here's how you do that. 
Find out more about the registry and its films at, and I'm going to spell this for you, loc.gov forward slash programs forward slash national film dash preservation dash board forward slash film dash registry forward slash. Okay, let's take a look at more entertainment. In the Grooves, the 10 best albums of 2022. In a year when we inched that much closer to a streaming eternal now, the music of 2022 felt suffused with tempor- temporality, looking back to a better time, anticipating tomorrow's promise, and taking stock of the present in 15-second snippets. So let's take a look at some of the... Well, actually, we're going to look at all of them here. Beyonce, Renaissance, Pop's Deepest Thinking Superstar, doesn't really deal in anything but big, important statements. Yet the textural scope and intellectual rigor, not to mention the emotion and the pure pleasure of this loving tribute to the dance music's black and queer pioneers, is still staggering to behold. Play it in the club, play it in the library, play it wherever some someone may doubt that history is alive. Number two is Roselia Montomami, another thoroughgoing work of pop scholarship. This one from a Spanish singer, songwriter, and producer for whom cultural boundaries exert all the weight of ink on a map maker's paper. Number three is Bad Bunny, the most inescapable album of 2022. The Spanish title translates ironically to A Summer Without You, never wore out its welcome base because Bad Bunny keeps finding fresh settings for the signature's drama King Sob in his voice. Number four is Taylor Swift's Midnights, having scratched an inch to write fiction with 2020's folklore and evermore than having combed carefully through her past with the last year's re-recordings of Fearless and Red, Swift returned to the highly, if, if slyly, uh, mode upon which her parasocial celebrity was built. Five is Alve's Blue Rev. Front woman Molly Rankin makes clear who she means when she quotes Belinda Carlyle's Heaven is a Place on Earth amid the gorgeous squall of this Canadian indie band's uh, Belinda says, but on the year's finest guitar album, a dream pop excursion irresistible to 80s noise boys and 90s velocity girls. Six is Angel Olsen, big time, recorded in Topaganga Canyon with memories of mid-century Nashville on her mind. Olsen's sixth studio LP uses horns and shimmering pedal steel to frame her grief over the deaths of both her parents, even as it looks ahead to the fulfillment she envisioned when she told them she was gay shortly before they died. A new queer country so classic for fans of is Dusty in Memphis, and I am Shelby Lynn. Number seven is Lainey Wilson, Bell Bottom Country. Nashville's brightest new star describes herself as a hillbilly hippie, which gets at her sense of humor and at the funky classic rock moves that can evoke Sheryl Crow's Tuesday's Night Music Club. But Wilson's at her best in yearning love songs like Watermelon Moonshine and Heart Like a Truck, where she wears the dings and scrapes of romance with pride. 
And Barbara Streisand, live at the Bonsoir. Want to hear some magnificent singing? Well, one option is shelling out a few thousand bucks to catch the show at Adele, just opened at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Another spinning this set of newly restored live recordings from a steady gig at Adele's Closet predecessor held 60 years ago. To hear what Streisand does with a Crimea River, Crimea River and Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered is to wonder whether anyone ever balanced finesse and vehemence so beautifully again. And then Charlie Puth. Charlie Puth composed such music as Charlie live on TikTok, which says as much about his bottomless music school facility as it does about his enduring cringe approach to modern pop stardom. And number 10 is Wizkid, More Love, Less Ego. Sadie fans, impatient for her first album since 2010, should immerse themselves in the latest from this Nigerian star of the international Afrobeat scene. More Love, Less Ego follows Wizkid's American breakthrough with Essence, which cracked the top 10 of Billboard's Hot 100 last year's, thanks in part to the remix, fe- remix featuring Justin Bieber. Yet the LP's glassy surfaces and unhurried grooves betray no thirstiness for more. In his music, the saxophone solo is safe. Okay, let's do one more uh, article here before we go. This is Mayo Clinic, questions and answers. Dear Mayo Clinic, I'm in my early 50s and I enjoy an active lifestyle. I recently heard reports of an increase in ankle sprains and broken ankles, particularly in an older population, due in part to both activity and aging. How can I avoid these injuries in the first place? Well, your answer is this. The ankle joint is composed of the ends of the tibia and fibula bones that are connected by multiple ligaments that help stabilize the joints. Collectively, this relationship is critical for stability and motion of the ankle. Injury to any of the ankle bones, ligaments, or tendons, and several types of arthritis can cause ankle pain. Many people report ankle pain, which can be a precursor to ankle injuries. The most common issue is a sprained ankle, which is an injury that occurs when you roll, twist, or turn your ankle in an awkward way, forcing it to move out of its normal position. This can stretch or tear the ligaments. Failing to treat a sprained ankle properly engaged Engaging in activities too soon after spraining your ankle or spraining your ankle repeatedly might lead to ongoing uh, complications. So as far as an ankle fracture is concerned, the most common area for this to occur is at the fibula. The incidence of ankle fractures is estimated to be more than 5 million ankles in the U.S. per year. Fractures can range from tiny cracks in your bones to breaks that pierce your skin. Ankle fractures can be caused by multiple factors, including low-energy rotational injuries in recreational sports or high-energy motor vehicle accidents. And that does it for the reading today of The Courier here for Tuesday, December 27th. I am your host, Peter Welch, and you've been listening to IRIS, that is the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody.